morning. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever noticed uh, that we do a lot of things based on feeling? You ever, you ever notice that? And the question is, is would, would just think about all uh, that we would get done in our lives and our business and our, our world and our homes, really all we would not get done if we only did what we feel like doing. Right? I mean, just think through that for just a second. I mean, think what would be off the table in your daily routine if we only did what we feel like doing. Going to the gym, never would be in my equation, right? I never feel like uh, going to the gym, and I think the only people that look happy in the gym are the trainers, <laughs> and I think they're paid to fake it, and, uh, right? But we, we sort of have to psych ourselves up to, to go and get our mind over our emotions. How about meetings? Not a favorite for me. And uh, there's a lot of meetings that need to take place in, in the church and, 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 you know, being a part of the church staff, et cetera. And, and uh, for me, there's nothing about sitting around a table with a group of people for an hour or multiple hours uh, that psychs me up and feeling like we're getting nothing done. We're not reaching anybody, you know, but, but they're required. Uh, paying bills, never feel like doing that. Right? I don't know if you'd feel like doing it or not, but now I never get real excited uh, about paying the bills. What about going out to eat? And, and your wife asks, you know, what do you feel like eating? It's always an interesting conversation in our house, right? Because I don't put feeling into it. I just eat. And uh, it rarely matters where, but I mean, I just eat. But I know she's put her emotion into it, right? And now it's a game. And, and, and am I going to say the same thing she's thinking? And am I feeling the same thing she's feeling? And of course, I never do, right? But, but we use the word feeling all the time as if it is a valid reason. That, that I'm just not feeling it. Or if it feels good, do it. And we, we place this priority on feelings. But if we let our emotions lead us, listen, we will often get led astray. And a lot of our troubles and a lot of the pain in our lives is because we are listening to our emotions instead of what we know is true, instead of what the Spirit says about us. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about our troubles and our pains and our habits and our hangups and our hurts and all of these things in our life that we want to see gone for good. And if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, our old nature is gone and it has been replaced with a new nature, right? That's what the Scripture says. And this last week... Uh, one of my Midtown friends and, and Midtown members ran into me at a sandwich shop. We were in Utica Square at Queenie's, and, and we were going in to get sandwiches together, and there's always a line because there's six tables and 60 people want them. And it's always that uncomfortable deal of you stare them down like, can I move them with my eyes? Will they leave and understand? We are waiting. We don't have time for you to socialize. Finish, right? And so we're sitting there in that line, and he says, hey, I want to have a doctrinal conversation with you, and I, I want to ask you some doctrinal questions. Could I get an appointment with you? And I said, probably not, but let's just, let's just do it right now. And so we're standing there, and uh, we're having the conversation. He says, I don't understand what you've been preaching about the last few weeks. And you've been talking about we have a new nature, and, and the old nature is gone, and, and, and this new nature and new life has begun in us, but I still feel like sinning, and I still have this struggle towards sin. I still have this propensity towards sin. And, and, and I said to my friend, listen, if you feel like what I've said is that the struggle is gone, you've completely misunderstood, because the exact words I've said every Sunday is, the battle is present until we meet Jesus face to face. Why? Because there is flesh. And what is flesh? Flesh is that thing in your brain and in my brain that creates a propensity towards independence of God. We were born with it. 
And, and discussing this with uh, some very intelligent people over the last few weeks, one of the questions that came up was, well, if that's true, that, that uh, I still have that flesh because God didn't reach in my brain and push reset when I came to Christ, I still have that. What if I came to Christ at six years old? And, and the truth of the matter is, is even if you came to Christ at a very early age, like six years of age, th- then you were born, according to the Bible, physically alive but spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. You were born spiritually dead, which means every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year for six years, you live life independent of God and you lived your life in the way that you wanted to and it revolved around you. And so even if you got saved at an early age of six years old, you still have a tremendous formation towards the flesh and towards living independently of God. And when you are saved, you now have a new nature. The Bible says circumcised. Your old nature was circumcised off your heart. A new nature was placed within you and that is who you are. But you still have learned behavior that leads you back the wrong way. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which where we've been in every week, the key verse for this series, says that that means anyone, say anyone. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. Say it again, become a? A new person. The old is what? Gone. And the new has begun. A new life has begun. But when we're honest about that, what we would say is I don't always feel feel like that is true, right? And that's true. We don't always feel like that. We, we hear those words and you think, new creature. Yeah, new creature. I get it, but and there's, I don't feel like that. And there's always this tension and this struggle and this battle but between what we hear and what we know and what we feel inside about it, right? There's, there's a tension. And the Spirit, according to the Bible, leads us into all truth, all truth. But our feelings can lead us astray and lead us awry. And you see, our habits and our actions and our behaviors are all products of our decisions, right? I showed you that last week in the pyramid of habits and the way that this whole thing plays out in our lives. Our habits and our actions are all a result of decisions we make. And decisions come from what we think and how we feel. In other words, decisions come out of our thoughts and they come out of our emotions. And we get off track in one of two ways negatively if we're not careful. One way is we let our emotions guide our thoughts. will lead us astray. Another way is that we let wrong thoughts guide our emotions. Either way, we are in the ditch on one side of the road or the other. And the thing about emotions is, is they're not necessarily bad right? I mean, I tried to think of emotion. I can't think of one emotion that's all bad. So what about sadness? Well, sadness is not all bad, right? If you're mourning the loss of someone you love or something in your life, sadness can be good. In fact, there's a Bible verse that says a sad face is good for the heart. And so it's not all bad. And think about it this way. God is an emotional being, right? I mean, there's all kinds of emotion attributed to him in Scripture in the Bible. There are times when God is angry. There are times when God is jealous. There are times when God is envious, right? But God is always holy. So in the midst of all of that emotion, he's still always holy. So what does that tell us? It's not our emotions that are wrong. It's how we respond to them 
that enters the camp of sin. And so our emotions come from our heart. And I'm not using the word heart to talk about this. The organ inside your chest that pumps blood through every part of your body. And we all have that. That's not what we're talking about when we say heart. The Bible speaks metaphorically of the heart. That if the brain is the center of intellect and the source of intellect and thought, then the heart is the source of feeling. And emotion. And the Bible says we need to be careful in trusting our emotions. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It cannot be trusted. Now, that's not, that's not talking about the organ that pumps blood through your body. It's talking about the center of feeling and emotion. That means, listen, listen, here's what this means that how we feel is a very bad barometer of how we should act. How we feel is a very bad barometer of how we should act. Just going by our feelings and letting our emotions guide our decisions is a recipe for disaster. And it will lead to disaster. And some of you know this to be true firsthand. And if you were honest, you know, you would raise your hand and say, hey, my name is and I am an emotional, you know, idiot. But, but because if you're honest, you're a slave to your emotions, you don't handle emotions well, and you're either experienced emotional overload or you've experienced emotional burnout, and you let your feelings get the better of you, and consequently you end up hurting yourself. Why? Because you're allowing the emotion to damage you. You're allowing the emotions to damage relationships with others in your life. And we've all been hurt, every one of us, all of us have been hurt. Right? There's no exception in the room. And at the core of the problem with our hurts is that our hearts have been affected over time through all of the hurts that we've suffered. And when we are hurt by someone, what do we call it? We call it heartbroken. And our heart is the seat of our emotion, and it suffers damage. And the wounds in our heart, if not handled properly and given to the Lord, can lead to damaging emotions and wounded parts. And we respond to emotions based on the condition of our heart. Watch this, it's a cycle. That we respond to emotions based on the condition of our heart, and the condition of our heart is determined by how we respond to hurt. So this is a big, big deal. So, so what do we do and how do we uh, handle em- this? And emotional damage is a heart issue. And none of us can fix our heart on our own, right? We need the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit of God to fix our hearts. And I would love to tell you that at salvation, our hearts are changed. We have a new nature and it's all good and the struggle is over. But I can't tell you that. That's not true. That it is true that our nature is changed. Our sin nature is removed and is replaced with a new nature. But the flesh is still there and we still have a choice. And the choice is ours. And we can either let the spirit lead us or we can let emotions lead us. We, we can act on the truth of who we are in Christ or we can act on what we feel like. I want to show you how this works. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to show you uh, where Paul outline some of this, and he picks one uh, emotion to run with and, and to provide the illustration, but you can take this rule and apply it to any set of emotions in your life. And Paul in Ephesians is addressing believers in the same state that you and I are talking about today. They're changed, new people who don't feel like it and don't always act like it. Ephesians chapter 4, let's begin reading in verse uh, 21. 
Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. In other words, don't go back to the old way. Why? Because the old way is gone. And so don't go back there. That's not you anymore. Verse 23, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Now, we talked about this last week, right? Thoughts, attitudes, and emotions. That's what drives our behavior. And if you're renewed by the Spirit, then you will have positive God-honoring behaviors. But if you go the way of the flesh and you follow the old way, you end up in this negative cycle of negative actions and negative behaviors and negative habits playing out in your life. And that's the way it works. And so as we look at this in Ephesians 4, listen to how Paul explains this. Look at uh, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and as well as all types of evil behavior. If you've got your Bible open, I want you to number those things, okay? All the things that we just listed, because they're in a numerical order there. They get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. There's, if there's no reset button that's pushed in our brain at the point of salvation, then we still have to deal with emotion, right? And we still have to deal with problems that come our way. And I want us to look at these words. And, and, and one of my uh, friends who was telling me about a preacher that he heard speaking on this passage of Scripture, and while he was explaining to me what this preacher said, it was as if a, a switch flipped in my brain uh, to understand this in a new light, that what Paul's doing here actually is a progression. And he is showing this progression of what this looks like in, in our lives when we allow our emotions to guide us instead of the Holy Spirit of God guiding us. And so what's the very first word he lists there? The very first word is bitterness. Now I'm going to show you this in a progression. And so I've given you an outline with blanks that go down this way. And then I'm going to show you in the next verse how you go back up to where you belong for a healthy heart. Okay. And so the path towards this unhealthy heart begins with bitterness. And why bitterness? Because that's the root. You say, well, how do you know that's the root? Well, Hebrews tells us, watch out and be careful that a root of bitterness doesn't take hold of your heart. In other words, with bitterness and with other things, uh, sadness or gloom or, or uh, frustration or jealousy or whatever, greed, that any negative emotion that has a root attached to it means that they can grow tentacles down into your heart and down into your life and can hold on to you. What is a root of bitterness? Here's what a root of bitterness is. When we let ourselves be defined by a wound, instead of being defined by what Jesus Christ did for us and what the Holy Spirit of God says for us, that's when we let a root of bitterness grab a hold of our heart. And the wound will fester and we pick at the scab and it turns into bitterness. And it is created by how we respond to the hurts in our lives. Listen to me. We're all gonna get hurt. You're not unique in that. The devil may tell you you're unique in that. The devil may tell you that your hurt is more unique or more, uh, you know, uh, greater or whatever. It's just not true. We all get hurt in life. That is a real fact of life. A couple of weeks from now on May, whatever it is, the Mother's Day weekend, we do the parent-child dedication every year on Mother's Day weekend and Thanksgiving, around those two times. And so it's coming up in, in a couple of weeks where all these families have babies. And I heard a number tossed around the other day, like 80 babies going to participate in this parent-child dedication thing in a couple of weeks between the two campuses. And if I were honest with those babies, listen, when I take one of those little sweet little babies and I would hold it up in my arms before you and I would look at that little sweetheart and say, you're going to get hurt. This is a rough, rough world. And I promise you, you're going to get hurt. You say, that's not very nice or encouraging. No, but it's truthful, right? And somebody's going to hurt you. 
in this world. I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. Somebody is going to say something that you're going to take the wrong way. You're going to get upset. Somebody's going to make you feel bad. Here's the bottom line of life. We cannot control whether or not we get hurt by someone else. We can't. We have no control over that. But what we have control over is how we respond to the hurt. And if we don't respond appropriately by giving it to the Lord, we allow bitterness in. What's the next in the progression? Look at your Bible. What's the next one? Rage. Rage is the next one. What, what, what the Greek word for that uh, word that's translated rage means to boil up. Now, here, here's how this works. If you don't deal with bitterness and allow it to get roots into your life, eventually it's going to lead to rage. What is rage? Rage is boiling up. Have you ever been wronged or hurt by someone and you feel it building up inside of you? Rage. Hasn't boiled over the top yet. But you get red-faced, your blood pressure rises, your muscles get tight, your face starts to twitch, and that is rage. And, and, and it spills out. And when it spills out, what does it spill out as? What's the next word? Paul tells us. It spills out as anger. You let what's boiling up inside of you come out. And it, it ranges depending on your personality and what you saw as a child and how your parents handled it. But, but anger comes out, and it can range from throwing a plate across the room to slamming a door to, you know, just punching your fist or pounding your fist or it, kicking the dog or letting your anger boil up inside of you. It spills over the top, which leads to something else. Paul tells us what's next. What's next? Harsh words, right? Dang it and shoot and dadgum, right? You know the words you use when you're really, really mad. Fiddlesticks, right? All those words, you know, that, that, that come out. Listen, this is more than just shouting a bad word. There is a honing device in this called harsh words. And the honing device is... And, and it goes after the person who has harmed you and after the person who has hurt you. You are targeting someone with those words. You are locking in on them. And you may shout at them. You may yell at them. You may give them a piece of your mind. And, and if you're, you know, bold, you do that in public. If you're a weenie, you do that behind closed doors without them present. But, but you are letting it boil out into anger and now harsh words, which leads to another step we call slander, right? Did, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear what, now they're not even present and you're bringing them into the equation and you're talking about them in a negative way that's slander. Now listen, for it to be slander, it doesn't have to be a lie. It can be all truth and it's still slander. As long as it's damaging, it's slander. And in the church, we have this very holy spiritual way of spreading slander. We call it prayer request. Right? And, and you say, well, I, 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 we need to pray for so-and-so. Did you hear? Don't tell anyone about it. But did you hear? Did, do you know that their family is falling apart? Or we need to pray for so-and-so. I, I mean, we really need to pray. I'm not even sure he's a Christian. Right? And, and that's slander. We're not doing anyone any favors when, when we do that. And when we say the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Because the Bible says our tongues and our words have power. In fact, James says they have the power of life and death. And they can hurt just as bad. In fact, they can hurt way worse. And so Paul is showing us this. Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and it just keeps getting worse. What's the last one on Paul's list? All types of evil behavior. 
all types of evil behavior. And uh, one definition of that or translation of that is malice, which is the intent to injure, which we watched play out this week in Boston. Right? And you think through these boys who blew up a bomb or bombs and injured innocent people at a public event, and you think, why? Right? I mean, none of us can answer the question, why? Why would they do that? Why would they intend to harm somebody? They're driven by something. Listen to me. They're driven by something. Another translation there is wickedness and evil. Question, who else do we know that intends to harm? Whose MO is to steal, kill, and destroy? Satan. Who's wicked and who is evil. Listen to me. The devil disguises this. Clearly these kids were Muslim. And you say, well, you know, are you profiling or whatever? And does your mind initially go to that? Listen to me. Not all Muslims are terrorists. But so far, most terrorists are Muslims. And you say, what are you saying? What I'm saying to you is that there are a people. I'm not, I don't hate Muslims. I hate Islam. Why? Because it's of the devil. And it's demonic. And it goes away that is contrary to the person of Jesus Christ, just like all other things that go away from Jesus Christ. And so you hear me, listen to me. The devil disguises this. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you and me. He disguises this in our lives. Listen to me. The di- the, we, we play it out with our feelings. And we say, you know what? I feel like I'm defending myself. When I'm not, the devil's disguised it. What I'm doing is destroying myself with this path that leads down this road. And we feel like this is righteous anger. We feel like these are entitled feelings. We feel like this is justified emotion and that the behavior is justified. What is it in its truth? It is wickedness and evil. Wickedness and evil. And we are not being led by the Spirit in that scenario. We are being led by the devil. We're being influenced by the enemy and the bait of our flesh, our own desires, our own selfishness, our own way, independent of God. We're baited with that flesh. And he baits us and he influences us. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. Right? Have you heard that? How does that happen? And how does that play out? That people get hurt. And sometimes when people get hurt, they can turn that hurt on other people. Now, how, how does that happen? It happens when we get hurt and we let that wound fester. And we allow it to turn into bitterness that takes a root into our heart. And then ultimately it leads to rage and we let anger boil over. We kick the dog. We mouth off. We start plotting ways to hurt people. Paul's showing us how this path goes and how it leads. And Paul's outlining the progression of negative anger. But you can use this outline uh, and this progression as a gauge to show you where you are in, in the equation. Are you, is it just a root in your life or is it bitter, boiling up in rage? Are you getting red face, high blood pressure, or do you let it spill over? Are you at the anger level? Or are you shouting out darns and dangs, which is led you to harsh words? Do you act out of those emotions? Do do you slam stuff down? Do you throw stuff? Or are you keeping it all in check by the Spirit's power, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God? That verse is just about negative, uh, the negative use of anger. 
in our lives. But the rule applies to every set of emotions. You can take it to uh, jealousy. You can take it to harm. You can take it to sadness. You can take it to grief. Anywhere you want to go. But are you allowing emotional wounds to define you? That's the question for the believer. Are you allowing an emotional wound to define you? Our hearts take the brunt of emotional wounds. And when that happens, one of two negative paths can, go, can be created. One path is we get a hard heart. The other path is we get a broken heart. Either way, we're in the ditch on the side of the road. A hard heart is when you let our, yourself become calloused by emotions, where you build up this protective wall around your heart. The Bible calls it a stony heart that needs to be taken out and put back with a heart of flesh. We stop caring about others. We, we, we stop letting people in, and we cover up our hurt. We, we, sometimes we cover up our hurt with sarcasm. We cover up our hurt with a mean look. We stop caring about others, and we don't let them in. Hard-hearted people say things like, I don't care. They can do whatever they want to do. They can do that. I, I, don't, I don't care. That's what hard-hearted people say, and, and that's how it plays out. A broken heart is in the other ditch. That's where we internalize the pain, and we hold on to it, and broken-hearted people carry their emotions on their sleeve, right? And, and they take it to heart. What does that mean? Literally, they take it to their heart over and over and over again, and they allow themselves not to be wounded once. They allow themselves to be wounded multiple times over the same offense and they wear their emotions on their sleeve and you can say something wrong and, and, and or say something and they take it wrong regularly, right? And you can say to them, man, I really like your haircut. And you say, well, you didn't like it before? You can't win, right? Because their, their emotions are on their sleeve. You build walls. So you, on one side of the equation and one side of the ditch, you build walls around your heart to keep people out and to keep hurt out. Or on the other side, we nurse the wounds and we keep them alive and we keep hurting ourselves over and over and over again. Either way, we are letting our emotions control our thoughts or we're letting wrong thoughts control our emotions. Both of those are negative paths. And in order to keep your emotions from controlling your life, you have to have control of your emotions. How do you gain control? Through the Spirit of God. We let the Spirit of God have the reins to our life. We let him take the wheel in our life. We let him call the shots at every juncture in our life. He's calling balls and strikes. He's calling fouls. You've got to let him have control of every area of your life, including, listen, including your emotions. So, so what does a spirit-controlled emotion look like? Paul tells us. Look at verse 32. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Instead of letting bitterness take root and drive your emotion, instead of letting anger lead you to hate and slander and the wish of harm, instead, be kind with compassion on the people who hurt you. Turn that pain around towards the person who wounded you and be kind to them. How can we be kind? Anybody ever been wounded by somebody else? You feel like being kind? No, we don't feel like being kind. That's what I'm talking about. We don't go with our feelings. We, we go with the truth of the word of God. We don't feel like being kind to the person who hurt us. Kindness is tough. Why is kindness tough? Because we're all pretty selfish. And we're focused on ourselves and, and, and not others. And, and, but it is a choice. We can act on the truth of who we are or what we feel like. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the media and Twitter related to uh, Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren and his son. A few weeks ago, I asked you to pray uh, for, his son, uh, for his family because his son had taken his own life. 
two weeks ago, yesterday. And uh, I knew when I read it and I knew when I heard it how that was going to play out. And it didn't take long, but a couple of days. And the haters and the mockers have come out of the woodwork. And they're blowing up Twitter and they're blowing up their blogs and they're blowing up Facebook and everything else. And Rick sent out a tweet a few weeks ago or a few days ago that said, Grieving is hard, but grieving as a public figure is harder. But grieving while haters celebrate your pain is the hardest. Did you see what he's describing? He's describing himself at a vortex because he has a choice. And he can go, you know, one of a few different ways. Exactly what I'm preaching to you today. He can end up in the, in the hard heart where he shields his heart off and he's not going to get close to anybody and he's not going to let anybody in ever again. Or he can end up in the ditch of a broken heart where, where he's nursing that wound and nursing it. And, 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 but if he chooses the right path, he will turn that into kindness towards those who are meaning harm to him. And God can take a tragedy and make a triumph out of it. And, and when we're able to be kind, we are tender-hearted. Okay, what does it mean to be tender-hearted? Remember I said you have two responses, broken-hearted, hard-hearted. Paul has given us a third option, which is the right option, and it is tender-hearted. Hearted, for us to have a tender heart. And I want to give you some advice here as I wrap up today. And it's going to be strange. It's going to sound strange. But I'm going to tell you, the, the moment I say it, you're going to go, no, that's not right. I'm telling you it is right. And, and as you play it out and allow it to play out in your life, you're going to say it is right. Here's the advice. Let yourself get hurt. You gotta let yourself get hurt. You say, what do you mean? Being tender-hearted means that your heart is able to feel and it is able to be hurt. It means it is tender, it is open, it is vulnerable, and you are able and it is possible for you to get hurt again. And the pushback from some of you VBS graduates is gonna be, but the Bible says guard your heart. I'm supposed to guard my heart. L listen, it, it, that, when you think that's all I'm doing by building a wall of stone around my heart is that I'm guarding my heart, you have misunderstood the proverb. What, what God is telling us in the Proverbs there is that guarding your heart is about guarding it against anything evil. It's about guarding it against things taking root in it that don't belong there. It is guarded against evil things and the things that will infect your heart with evil. But a tender heart is an unguarded heart when it comes to how we respond to people hurting us. Building a wall around our hearts, we think we're protecting our heart. Listen, we're being duped by the devil again. He is so sly here. We think building that wall to protect our heart is good for us when it's not because what we're doing is we're shutting off the supply to our heart and we're actually harming ourselves in the process. To guard your heart is not keeping yourself from ever being hurt again. You say, how do you know that? Look at Jesus. Did Jesus protect himself in such a way as to never allow himself to be hurt again? No, that's not how. And he knew what was going to happen. Listen, he knew what was coming at every turn. And he did not protect himself in such a way to not allow himself to ever be hurt again. What, what it means to guard your heart means that when your heart is hurt and your heart is harmed, that you give your heart to God. And that you cast your cares on God. This week we had an amazing illustration of this playing out in our home. 
Wednesday night, I'm teaching at the dinner with a pastor, and my, one of my sons dealt with a great disappointment. And uh, for whatever reason, he took this one to heart, which is unusual for this particular kid. In fact, it crushed him. And he cried for about three hours on Wednesday evening while his mom was mopping his heart up off the floor. He was asleep when I got home, and I prayed for him. And you know that thing in parents. Listen, you know that thing when your kid's been harmed or wronged or whatever that comes out, and you want to just... Right? And you want to go after your kids, and you, and you want to you know, just take someone out who, who hurt or harmed or whatever. But listen to me. Listen. Good friend. Had dinner with a few weeks ago. We're talking, and, and in talking, he had enough courage to speak the truth to me. And, and, and as I, we're walking through this, he just said to me, he said, that's iniquity. And to the type A people in the room, listen, I'm preaching to you. Because I know you. Because I am you. And I am a type A person. And listen, what type A people and, and the D and a disc scenario, the dominant personality and the dominant uh, characteristic and it, that plays out in your life, here, here's how this works. That in your flesh, you learn at a very early age how to get things done. And you get things done many times as a believer by prayer and by talking to God, by allowing God to do it, by negotiating, by using your communication skill in a way that God gave you, in a way that's honoring to God. But when all else fails, what a type A personality learns to do at that moment is use anger. And see, in, in, a, in a moment's notice, I could reach back because I still have the holster on with anger in it. And I can reach, now it's in the back so nobody can see it, but I, I can pull it right out of here, you know, behind my jacket, pull it out, and there it is. There's that gun, and it's ready to go, and the gun is anger. And I can get something done in a moment through anger. Whether it's in my home, with staff, with people who've come against me, whatever, I can bring anger as a weapon out in a moment and get it done. But listen, when you take anger into your hands and you use it as a tool to accomplish something, that is not of God. You say, well, it works. It's not of God. It is iniquity passed down from generation to generation. That is ancestral sin. And you've got to allow God to cut that out of your heart where it is no longer a tool in your belt the tool in your belt is Jesus. The tool in your belt is the Holy Spirit of God and him accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. So the next morning, I prayed about it. God gave me great wisdom and discernment that morning in my quiet time. And I'm taking my three younger kids to school and on the way to school, we had a prayer retreat. And in the prayer retreat, I'm talking to my son. I'm saying, son, you, you, we gotta give that to the Lord. Other two are listening. We got, we got to give that to the Lord. He said, Daddy, I, I don't feel like I can give it to the Lord. And I said, why? He said, because I don't feel like I'm being honest if I give it to the Lord. I said, okay. What's honest? He said, it stinks. It's not fair. It's not just. It's not right. Something fishy. I said, okay, all of those things are true. By your perception, all of those things are true. By my perception, all of those things are true. But giving it to the Lord doesn't mean that you check your brain at the door, and it doesn't mean that you say, I'm not going to be honest about it. You are honest about it. He said, what do you mean? I said, tell God. God, this stinks. 
and it's unjust, and it's not right, and, I, and it hurt me, and it harmed me. But, but in the process, God, I'm going to give my heart to you because I don't know how to deal with this properly, and I'm not going to hold on to it because when I hold on to it, it makes me hard or broken. And neither of those are who I am in you. I'm going to be tender. And the only way I stay tender is to give that hurt to you, God. Why? Because you care for me. So I'm casting those cares off of me onto you as you instructed me to do in 1 Peter because you care for me and you know better than I do. And those with hard hearts need to soften them. And those with, you know, uh, and drop the guard. And open yourself up to others again and let them in and draw close to others. And yes, that means you could get hurt again. It does mean that. To those of you with broken hearts, you need to stop internalizing your pain. And you need to lay down your own selfish desire to assign blame. That's not of God. We don't get to assign blame. That's God's job. And instead, we need to realize that hurt happens. And so the brokenhearted people need to toughen up a little bit. And the hard-hearted people need to soften up. And all hearts need to become tender, ready to be heard again, given to the Holy Spirit of God and letting him do in us what he can and what he wants to do. Weirdest advice I've ever given. Let yourself be heard. But that's the definition of tender-hearted. And I want you to think of it this way. What's the alternative? Right? I mean, what is the alternative? To try not to ever be hurt again. Now, if you choose that path, listen where that path goes. You've got to break off every single relationship, or at least the level that any relationship could ever go. You've got to disconnect from every emotion. You've got to decline every notion of success and, and fulfillment in your life. You, you have to dissolve every right to fulfillment and happiness in, in your life. That's the path that, that you're choosing by guarding your heart and protecting your heart in that fashion. The result is you become an unfeeling robot. And that's not what God has for you because in that scenario, you're in control instead of letting God be in control. Now, Paul tells us the key to being tenderhearted. Look at the Bible, right? You be kind, and the way that you're kind is by having a tender heart. We're coming back up to the surface here. And the way that you have a tender heart is by, what does it say? Forgiving forgiving and just in case you misunderstand what he has to say here he quantifies it and qualifies it and says you forgive in the same way that God forgives it's not just any kind of forgiveness it's quick trigger forgiveness before they even ask for forgiveness, we forgive. Showing grace before the person may even hurt you, giving forgiveness. Come on. Watch. Is that not what God did for you? It's exactly what our Heavenly Father does for us. God did that for us. We hurt Him with our sins. We hurt Him with our disobedience, right? We do. But what's his response to that? He forgave us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. 
while we were being disobedient, while we were being rebellious, while we were heaping hurt and harm upon him, in the midst of all of that, God demonstrated his love for us, and he forgave us. Christ died for us. We hurt God. We hurt him over and over and over again. All seven billion of us on this planet have hurt God over and over and over again. And God has a choice to make at that moment. He he could get a hard heart, and he could pout, and he could turn his back on us, and and he could ignore us. He he, he could have gotten brokenhearted. He could blame us, and he could be whiny. But instead, he was tenderhearted, and he forgave us, and he showed us grace. Dying to self, that's what we've been talking about since Easter. Dying to self. Dying to self means that we openly forgive others when they hurt us. And we're not keeping a record of wrongs. And we're not tabbing an index in a book of all the wrongs that have come our way. Listen, we we don't close up and we don't hang our emotions on our sleeves. Instead, we let the Spirit control us and we overcome the flesh and, and we let ourselves get hurt again. Look, hurts hurt. You you ought to write that one down and tweet it all week long. Smartest thing Pastor Alex has ever said. Hurts hurt. That's why we call them hurts. They're going to hurt. And here's the reality. We're all going to get hurt. And we're all going to hurt people. All of us. We're all going to be hurt, and we're all going to hurt people. We can choose to hurt back, let the anger build inside of us, and then lash out. But listen to me. That's not defending ourselves. That is destroying ourselves. The devil dupes us. And unforgiveness is like drinking the poison, expecting the other person to get sick. Never going to happen. And we got to forgive others and we got to forgive ourselves and we have to stay tender-hearted and soft before the Lord and give our hurts to God and hand it to Him. When I was a, teenage, a youth pastor for teenagers, I found this mold, these jello molds, one with a hand and one with a brain and one with a heart. Human heart. Just eerie. And, and, and I remember the first time I made jello, and I thought, I'm going to use, you know, strawberry, red jello, sherry, or whatever, you know, to make the heart. And, and I made it and looked at it and thought, yeah, it just looks like red jello, you know, in the shape of a human organ. And so I took sweetened condensed milk and I poured it into the jello mix, which gave it this fleshy red color, which was much better for the illustration. And along the way, I figured if you threw gummy worms into it, it kind of looked like vessels and veins running through it. And, and, and I would play these games with teenagers, and I would put it up there and have these eating contests where they would put their hands on and they would dig into this, look like a human heart. I don't remember what the, the object lesson was. <laughs> but it was a great illustration. And I used to show the clip from that Bruce Lee movie that we saw when we were children, if you're around my age, where he took his hands and and went in that guy's ribs and pulled his heart out, and he showed it to him before he died. It scarred me, that movie. 
scarred me. Indiana Jones did a, you know, a spoof on that years later, you know, where that guy went in and did it. And, and you say, that's so morbid and such a gross illustration. Listen, it's exactly what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do with you and me. He wants to reach in and in a surgery-type manner, take that heart with those wounds and those hurts, those grievances, and he places it in our hand to do with it what we want. And we can either hold on to it and protect it, or, or we can nurse that wound and, and, and just take care of that wound, or we give it to God and let him do with it as he wishes because he's the only one smart enough to handle it in a way that honors him and is for our good. We can't. We have to depend upon him and give it to him. Would you pray with me? In all of our environments, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? And can I just say to you if, you, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, or you're watching today online and you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you got no hope. And, and I can't help you deal with the pain in your life because the healer is not a part of your life and he's not present in your life. But the good news is, is you can come to know him today. And you can trust Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior today. And that is the path for you. And, and today, wherever you are in any of our environments, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, would you just pray with me? And would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've messed up. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. Come into my life to be my Lord. You call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior and my forgiver. And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin. And I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you for saving me. And if you just prayed that prayer, it's the wisest decision you could ever make to give your life to Christ. And now I want to join you in with the rest of us in here who know Christ. And I want to lead you in a confession today a confession of biblical truth in giving your hurt and your pain to God and hard-hearted ways and hard-hearted mindsets and broken-hearted ways and broken-hearted mindsets. And it may not, again, it may not be this string of negative emotion. It may be another one. Yours may be a whole other string of negative emotions. But either way, I, I want us to confess this as truth today before the Lord. And there's one group of people that I, I, I want to ask to take a step of boldness and a step of courage and a step of humility. We're, we're all going to say it together. But if you're here today at Midtown or Battle Creek, and you would say, I'm hung on the stringer. I'm swimming in the water. But there is a stringer through my mouth that has got me attached to the boat. And that stringer is a string of negative emotions. And I need the Lord to set me free. If that's you today, would you just stand all across both buildings and say, that's me. I'm on the stringer. I'm in the water. But I'm, I'm not free to swim in the water the way that God designed me to swim. I'm on the stringer. Midtown, would you stand up? Battle Creek, they're standing up all over the place. And so we're going to confess this truth together today. 
whether you're seated or standing, either way. And right where you are, would you just say today, I I choose to die daily. Say it out loud. Let's all say it together out loud. I choose to die daily. To my hard-hearted and broken-hearted mindset. And to live in Christ, tender-hearted victory in me. I'll renew my mind in your truth so that I can be transformed and conformed to the truth of who you say I am. All power has been given to Jesus, my Lord. And he gives me power to overcome because of his power working in me. I'll be intentional until the victory is won. I'll take captive every thought to obey my Lord Jesus. I'll exercise my right as a child of God to take my stand and persevere until the hard-hearted and broken-hearted habits and thinking cannot have any foothold in me in any way. Thank you, Father, that you reveal the truth of Christ Jesus in me. My hope of glory, I'm seated with him in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority. I overcome through faith in him. I'm your child. I'm cherished, beloved, forgiven, justified, and made holy. I am sealed with your spirit and destined for glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord for truth and for freedom?